Basically, what ended up happening, right, is by the time we got to July, August, and I'm thinking about cutting back my hours, it's at the exact same time that my business is seeing potentially unprecedented growth. What ended up happening is that we had enough actual revenue that I was able to make an offer to one of my team members to come on full time as an employee. And so that really opened up capacity for us as a team. And so that was really the moment when I was like, oh, like this is how the math could work. How are you? How's your year been going? How have you managed all this change we've been dealing with this year? All this unprecedentedness. I don't know about you, but I could definitely go for some precedented times these days. I'm Susan Bowles, and you're listening to Break the Ceiling, the show where we break down unconventional strategies you can use to save time, boost your profit, and increase your operational capacity. We've been talking about how to manage change, how to become more resilient, and how to develop our skills in these areas, both personally and as leaders, so that our businesses can weather storms and come back. And so our team can stay calm, relaxed, and supported. I talked to Alicia Abate about what it means to be resilient and how much of a role mindset plays in our ability to be resilient. And in the last episode with Lauren Caselli, you can see how that played out for Lauren in real life this year, how she weathered a huge business change and how she dealt with the worst, the loss of the business she had spent almost a decade building. Today, we're going to talk about the other end of that change spectrum. What happens when things boom and you have to figure out how to manage that boom in your business at a time when your personal situation might actually mean that you have less time than ever to spend in or on your business. Alethea Fitzpatrick is a principal and founder of Co-Creating Inclusion, which is a diversity, equity, and inclusion firm with a focus on shifting culture and driving equity. She's the mom of two kids, eight and 11 year old boys in Brooklyn. And like a lot of us, she's now running a business and being the main parent at home, dealing with virtual school for both kids. But her business has also seen unprecedented growth this year. And so she's figuring out how to balance both, delegate where she can and be conscious about taking care of her own needs so she can be there for her family and her team, both of whom need her now more than ever. Alethea talks about what 2020 has looked like for her, what techniques and systems she's put in place to try and cope with all of these changes, and what it looks like for her day to day as she tries to manage having the capacity to work less, but having more business than ever. Hey, thanks for being here. Thanks for having me. I'm so excited to have this conversation. Me too. <laughs> this year has been a roller coaster yes. for everybody. And so I think this is going to be really interesting. Yes. So take me back a little bit. Tell me about what your original plan for 2020, which was about 42 years ago. Right. <laughs> Way back at the dark ages. <laughs> so yes. if we were talking in January of 2020, what would the year look like for you? So January 2020, I was feeling very excited about the coming year and we were on a trajectory of growth that kind of evolved over the first few months right up until <laughs> early March. I mean, it's hard to know 
actually which opportunities would have been realized if the pandemic hadn't hit, but we were definitely looking at a a big year of growth. That was very exciting. So that's what I was kind of expecting, not necessarily counting on, but shooting for and expecting at the beginning of the year. So then when everything shut down in March, what did that look like for you? So we had a really healthy pipeline of opportunities and a couple of ongoing projects that and we had a couple of projects I think that were just finishing and a very healthy pipeline and the corporate so we do diversity equity and inclusion consulting mostly for nonprofits but at the beginning of the year we actually had quite a few corporations who were interested in working with us and those corporate opportunities pretty much went on hold like right away like as they were closing uh, like like literally they had meetings with us scheduled or they were reviewing proposals and like as they were closing their offices they were emailing us and saying uh we need to put this on hold we'll be back in touch you know later so that was right away but the our nonprofit clients interestingly because their budgets are set ahead of time for the year did or i think already had budget committed to for dei and we actually had a couple of sort of proposals in that we were kind of back and forth on that ended up closing, you know, pretty much right after the lockdown hit here in New York, which was for us mid-March. So that was really interesting. In fact, we had one client, it was funny, we met with them in their offices at the end of February and the writing was already kind of on the wall. Like we, I remember that meeting, like we didn't hug, we didn't shake hands. And we all sort of talked about like how I guess we're not going to be doing, doing that anymore. But I don't <laughs> think any of us knew in New York City how quickly the shutdown was going to happen. And then literally my kid's school closed on March 13th and I had a strategic plan, plan due for this client on March 17th. And in the three weeks since we had met for the strategic planning and when the strategic planning plan was due, like everything (laughs) changed. (laughs) And so part of the strategic plan at the beginning was to acknowledge that and to sort of even start thinking like, what does DEI look like in a pandemic? And so the meeting to review the strategic plan was, you know, was online, was on Zoom. But from there we talked through and they, they really wanted to, they were very committed to DEI and we'd been working with them for about six months at that point. And so they stayed true to the commitment to continue. Like they, I think in part, thanks to the work that we had done with them, but also due to their own commitment, they they really wanted to just, they they felt it was important to continue. And I think we also felt that, you know, in a crisis, DEI actually becomes more critical than ever because what we've seen with the pandemic is that inequities get exacerbated. So yes, we had a couple of clients. There's another client as well that we'd worked with for about a year that also shortly after lockdown finalized our contract to continue to continue work. So that was that was kind of the right the, the, the sort of immediate weeks following lockdown. And we actually got a new project because they had been planning on attending an in-person training that was canceled. And so they reached out and and I'd done work with them before. And so they said, hey, could you do an online training? I was like, absolutely, yes. So, so yeah, so that was the, that was sort of what the immediate things that happened business-wise. Obviously, um, I typically pre-pandemic was working, uh, work in a co-working space. 
for what sounds now like a very ironic reason of I find it really hard to concentrate when I'm working at home. <laughs> I have two kids who are eight and 11 and realized many years ago that working from home was not for me. And so um, really enjoyed having my co-working space where so I could like leave the house like a normal person every morning and go to go to a space and you know, be in a professional environment and not be distracted. So obviously that space closed down right away and my husband's office closed maybe a week and a week or two later. So yeah, then like much of the world, we were all suddenly the four of us at home together 24 seven. So that was, so that was the, what happened on the personal side. So work is still, you know, happening and the kids are home and you are home with them <laughs> and everybody's trying to work and figure out, you know, school and all of those things all at once. What, how did you, how did you cope with that? What, <laughs> what did it look like for you? I, I love being, how did you cope with it? Yes, like, I, nobody really yes. coped with it. We all just freaked out it for a while. It was terrible. <laughs> it was terrible. It wasn't terrible. Oh, I want to say it was sort of like, there was sort of varying levels of terribleness that didn't all hit at once. So I think in the immediate, we all like, my husband and I just like, kept going with like, okay, so now we're home, but we're, you know, we're gonna work. And the kids school, we were lucky that our school, their school did a actually it was a little bit ahead of the curve. So they didn't have a gap. I think a lot of schools actually just had no school for a couple of weeks. Whereas our kids, I think had one day with no school and then they had remote school, but remote school was all asynchronous. And they pretty much would finish. Can you hear that in the background, by the way? It's That's fine. my husband. Okay, I'll start <laughs> that question. Hey, Keith. Well, I guess this is ambient noise. Of I'm like, I want to leave it in. <laughs> like, I want to. It's this is real. <laughs> this is what it's actually like. Yes. So their their remote learning was they would finish their work within about the first hour or two of the day, and I can't even. Like, I I think I might have just blocked out the whole experience. <laughs> It's but, like after pregnancy where you're just like, oh, yeah, it was fine. But basically, yeah, right. So basically, <laughs> you know, my husband's on calls, I'm on calls, and they're finishing their work super early. And so I think as a lot of, as happened with a lot of people, we just ended up giving them more and more screen time. They really got into Minecraft. I mean, they'd played Minecraft for a few years, but they just really got into it. And at first it seemed great because Minecraft is it's creative, it's collaborative. It's creative. They yeah. were video chatting with their friends and building world, these incredible worlds together. And they were happy and engaged. But certainly as the months went on, it kind of shifted to being not so healthy and too many hours. And it all kind of spiraled down from there to the point where I think about in July, we realized we had to like that it wasn't like that we couldn't keep going and i think it was right when i think when school ended ironically the loss of that what felt like very little structure it was still structure mm -hmm. and then without that it really kind of spiraled downwards and we realized that we needed to sort of rein in the screen time and we also realized that sort of the math of 
two parents working 40 hours a week with the kids home just wasn't working. You know, it was hard decisions about, you know, should I just quit my quit my job, basically <laughs> close the business, which I really didn't want to do or, you know, and so what I realized and I was like, well, I don't have to like quit, but I could cut back my hours. And, and so we kind of moved forward from there. So I would say for us, that was, that was the low point. And it sort of took us till summer. We needed the pause of summer to even be able to kind of step back and reflect and figure out, you know, everything, everything was very reactive from March, <laughs> including school. Right. So like no one really had a minute to pause and, and sort of intentionally redesign life. At least, at least we didn't. And so over the summer, then we sort of were able to kind of reconfigure a lot of different things and we could talk more about that. But yeah, that was that was sort of the turning point for us. Yeah, you realized that way earlier than I did, apparently. <laughs> we had a, a similar experience. We shut down here in Arkansas relatively early because we actually didn't see much of the virus until May, but we shut down in March. And so we, we shut down, our school shut down the same day, March 13th, and mm -hmm. it happened to be spring break. So we had a week of spring break that was no different. And then a week of them closed going, we don't know what to do. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then went back to school very similarly to you where, you know, they were done with their work. You know, it was like three worksheets and they were done in like an hour and a half. And my son got very into Minecraft. I mean, he was already into Minecraft, but spent a lot of time with Minecraft. And <laughs> and my husband is a realtor. So it just so happened that he basically said, OK, I'm not taking any clients because I have to go like you physically have to go see people in <laughs> right. houses right um, and he's high risk and so originally we were like cool he's doing homeschooling I'm going to continue to work which worked for a while and then he was like hey I, I have to go work <laughs> <laughs> we both have to work now it's right. been you know he made it to almost the end of school and then over the summer we were trying to figure out like okay he's home but he also has nothing to do like what do we do with him and ended up splitting the days like half and half and like trying to you know, compare meeting schedules and <laughs> deal with the unpredictability of real estate. And so it, it took me um, till darn close to this fall to go, huh, maybe I should pull my capacity back. <laughs> maybe, maybe I can't keep working at the same pace. So you realized it much faster than I did. <laughs> Well, you have one kid, right? I have two. So yeah, I, think I just have the one. Just, <laughs> so I think that that maybe had a little bit to do with just, yeah, I think it's different for everyone, right? Depending a little bit on how many kids you have and what kind of kids you have. So yes, absolutely. <laughs> so you were doing this, you know, I'm going to pull back. I'm I'm reducing my capacity. And then George Floyd and all the BLM protests kind of kicked off and you are a DEI consultant. Yes. So what did that end up looking like for you? What happened was with our current projects, we were already really booked in June. And I think we ended up having 18 hours. I facilitated 18 hours of workshops in the week before George Floyd was murdered and in the like four to five weeks after. So it was a it was a really, I think that might have also accelerated the realization <laughs> that things weren't working because it was 
really intense to be going through this. In fact, one client, actually the new client that I picked up right after lockdown, I was doing a series of four workshops. And the first one was like two days before George Floyd was murdered. And so then the next one was like a week after. And the next, the second workshop was when we had always planned to talk about race. And so it was quite a astonishing sort of timing. And it was actually, it was very intense, but also, I mean, the folks that we did workshops with were so grateful for the space to sort of process everything that was going on. But it was a really intense run of facilitation at a time when, you know, these conversations were just exploding in, you know, and going more mainstream. And so it was sort of an interesting it was an interesting time of conversations going more mainstream, which is good, but you know, the cost of those conversations, the cost of a lot of white folks waking up to systemic racism that has been around for uh, a few hundred years, you know, that there's a cost to black folks and folks, other folks of color when those conversations happen, because yes, it's, it's, it's a wave of, awakening that is much needed but it's also sort of a wave of white fragility if you like as a reaction also to white folks entering into this conversation because a lot of folks a lot of people I think were entering in a way that they hadn't before so it was kind of a a definitely a double-edged sword and I think the impact of that definitely is is not equal on everyone and as you know differing for for different people and you know, particularly exhausting and traumatic for for black folks. And so holding space for that was certainly something I was glad to be able to do, but was also quite intense. And actually a white friend of mine called it the woke wave, which mm. I thought was very, <laughs> felt very <laughs> apt because it was, it was, it was just this wave of, that was, yeah, like I said, both positive, but also quite overwhelming. And so, and then when you also add the pandemic, I, I call <laughs> I call it also the broke woke wave because all of these companies are like, we need to do this work now, but we have no money and we've got people on furlough and our budgets are getting cut. Yeah, so it has, it has resulted definitely in an increased interest in our work. Again, still it's hard to tell how much of it will actually sort of convert into real projects. So, I mean, we now have a steady lead of inquiries coming in that honestly, a year ago, I could I couldn't even have dreamed of that we don't have to do anything and they're just coming in. It turns out actually naming your company co-creating inclusion is really good for SEO. So even though I've never done any, even though I actually haven't optimized for SEO, we've had, we've had a lot of referrals, but we have also had sort of random Google search people coming our way. Honestly, we've never had that. That's a capacity issue of even just being able to have the processes in place to respond. And I know DEI consultants everywhere have been really overwhelmed. So we are now fully booked until the end of the year and beyond. And actually we've, we really had to turn the filters up on our inquiry process because we just don't have the capacity to take on the work. 
so basically what ended up happening, right, is by the time we got to July, August, and I'm thinking about cutting back my hours, I'm thinking about cutting back my hours at the exact same time that my business is seeing seeing potentially unprecedented growth. So that's a real conundrum. And what ended up happening is that we had enough actual revenue and not just potential revenue that I was able to make an offer to one of my team members to come on full-time as an employee. And she had previously been working as an independent consultant and also had another full-time job. And so that was a big step that really opened up capacity for us as a team. And so that was really the moment when I was like, oh, like this is how the math could work. I'm cutting back my time, but our team overall is increasing our hours. And and I have another team member also that, that was able to increase their hours. So that presented itself in August as this kind of amazing gift, really, you know, an opportunity of how I can make this work because, you know, the the disproportionate impact on women, right? So, I mean, there's the disproportionate mm. impact on people of color, black folks, those communities. There's also the disproportionate impact on women when, because of, you know, the pay gap around gender, if someone's going to cut back their hours, you know, it really, de- it depends, but generally speaking, right? If someone is going to quit their job or cut back their hours because the children are home, it's going to be the person that's making less. And very often, not always, but very often that is still unfortunately the the woman in a in a in a heterosexual marriage and so or even right in any in any partnership you know the person who's earning less often is the one that has faced more systemic obstacles for whatever reason that was and continues to be something very difficult for for me personally to sort of grapple with just the idea that my career was going to take a hit and my business was going to take a hit because of that has been a very painful and frustrating thing to grapple with and to know that it's systemic. And especially with my husband going back into the office full time, right? That feels like like another, you know, another hit that I'm mm-hmm. taking. All of our clients, all of our clients still closed and are not requiring their, their staff to go back to the office full time, which I just think is the humane and right thing to do at this time to really being able to make that move has sort of mitigated some of my resentment around having to pull back as, you know, as default sort of child caregiver. So yeah, so I'm lucky. I mean, I I feel very lucky that I can pull back my hours while continuing to grow the business. So it's not the hit to my career that it might, you know, that it might have been. At the same time, a team doesn't just magically like take over magically all those run hours. Themselves. So in reality, I haven't really cut back my hours <laughs> yet, but I have more support in the business than I did. And we are, you know, I do think we will, we will get there to the point where I can pull back my hours a little bit. So. Yeah, I think the that that balancing act between our businesses and our lives are always as a business owner really a balancing act even in the best of times, which a global pandemic is not. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely not. Yes. Is it worth it? 
Every small business owner wants to know that the money they spend on their businesses is worth it, that their investments produce results and help them grow. But if you don't know your business finances in and out, it's hard to know whether those expenses and investments are really worth it. Plenty of business owners, even the successful ones, feel like they're shooting in the dark when it comes to how they spend, save, and invest their money. Like you, they wonder if the ads they're buying, the software they're investing in, or the people they're paying are really paying off. And that's stressful. Feeling unsure about how you're spending or investing your money might be common, but it sure isn't fun. I want something different for you. I want you to feel confident that every decision you make is guided by your financial intel. I want you to be able to decide what actions to take to grow your business from a place of confidence and purpose, not panic, so that you can feel masterful at managing your money instead of inept or just plain scared. I want you to know exactly what's working so you can go all in and make your money make more money. This is what I do for business owners when I step in as their chief financial officer on demand. I help them parse the numbers, look for opportunities, and invest where it counts. We get clear on where they're getting in their own way and where the math just doesn't add up. And now I wanna teach you to do the same for your own business, because trust me, you can. Join me for Think Like a CFO. It's a four month accelerator, online workshop, and small group coaching program where I'll work alongside you so you can start thinking like a CFO and know that every penny you spend on your business is worth it. You'll dig into your relationship to money, put your financial data at your fingertips, and build systems of cash flow, taxes, and budgeting. I'll help you integrate your financial knowledge into your operational systems and technology so that your whole business works better. And by the end, you'll feel wildly capable with your money. Think Like a CFO is starting soon. So go to scalespark.co slash CFO to get all the information and sign up. I can't wait to work with you. So talk to me a little bit about what that balance looks like for you personally as you're managing that change. You know, day to day, are you working weekends? Are you working in the evenings? Like, how are you actually managing to lead a team, even if you have, you know, employees taking on some of the, you know, client facing work? You know, what what does that look like, especially as you're the primary school assistant? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, Wednesdays are my homeschool days. And I'm always like, Oh, that's the day that I'm a third grade virtual teaching assistant. That's that's yes, basically, it's like, right. (laughs) Yes, yes. There have been some great memes online of like, you're basically an admin assistant, like, You know, your first Zoom is at 8.30 and here are the worksheets <laughs> that you need for it. And <laughs> do you need another cup of juice? <laughs> and what else can I fetch for you? Yeah, I mean, what does it look like? <laughs> I wrote in my notes, it looks terrible. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I mean, I don't think it looks pretty for anybody. I would say like the last month, so my husband went back to working in his office full time after Labor Day. And that was when school started again for the kids. So this has been like, you know, the first four or five weeks of the new remote learning, me home by myself with the kids, 
you know, in the spring, it was sort of all of us in it together. Now, now I told my husband, it's like, it feels like you've sort of escaped back to a relatively normal life where you leave in the morning and you go to the office and you have your day and you don't get interrupted and you don't get us to fetch snacks for people. And then you come home at night. And meanwhile, like, we're all sort of stuck in hell, basically, mm-hmm. is a little bit what it feels like at the same time right like I'm really lucky that I can work from home and you know that we have enough space that we've now got the kids set up in separate rooms like we didn't do any of this in the spring they were like well no because we all thought school was going to be there in the fall (laughs) they all all thought this was just temporary yes they were doing remote school wherever whenever and so you know we have the resources that we have enough space in our apartment that they each are now in separate rooms we got them desks we got the monitors that they can plug their chromebooks in like that is i have found that has been a game changer for being able for them to then have zoom on one screen and then whatever they're working on on another screen so i mean we are by no means the most impacted or close to the most impacted or facing the most struggles and yet it's really hard so i'm here managing two kids on two different schedules plus my schedule so so i had to make an excel chart of like how everyone's schedules like lined up against each other <laughs> and literally in the like now I now we've all like you know they say it takes 30 days just to like create a habit like now I did definitely felt felt like after 30 days I was like okay I think we're finally like getting the hang of what the rhythm of this is like but literally in the beginning I was like clicking on that schedule like every 10 minutes like wait what's <laughs> happening like who, what are we where? doing this like what, my what time is it now <laughs> my executive function and my memory i feel like is just plummeted just from like being overloaded with too many things so yeah i feel very lucky that under the circumstances i don't know that the circumstances could get that much better i mean well, I, th- I think if my husband wasn't, <laughs> even if he, if he, even if he were on an every other week schedule, that would help me tremendously. But aside from that, you know, we have a lot of resources and we have a lot of support for, you know, succeeding in this. And so I do think we are moving into something more sustainable. So what it looks like is I wake up super early. I wake up at 530 and I do morning pages so for me morning pages i've realized if i don't do morning pages my sanity quickly slips away and so that practice is something like i really need to just have some time to like get some thoughts out of my head hear my own voice center on my own voice before i sort of go into the fray so i do that for maybe like till 6 15 and then i for an hour that's sort of like when i get to do really focused work because because the kids are still sleeping. And so I'll maybe get an hour in of like something that's really requires like my best brain thought, my <laughs> brain work. And and then the kids are up. My husband leaves pretty, pretty much when they wake up. He's been, I mean, he's been so amazing and supportive and doing everything he can to set us up like within the constraints of he has to leave for the office. So yeah, I mean, I'm sure it's not his choice to... It's not his choice. Yeah. And like, so everybody's doing the best they can. <laughs> so he like makes breakfast and sets things up and he sometimes sets things up for lunch. And yeah, and so what I realized... So, so another aha moment was like, oh, I shouldn't try to do work while they're doing school. Mm-hmm. Like 
if I can, great, but I shouldn't be counting on that to get stuff done. And so they have school from around 8.30 or 9 until 2, depending on which kid and what day. So that last hour, so once they're on their last Zoom, it's sort of like when I'm like, okay, I can like, this is my work time. So my, my official work hours are 1 p.m. to 6 p.m. And then we have a sitter from three to six. And so far we've been, so we also have vulnerable family members. And so we've, we were pretty quarantined earlier on and we have been getting out of our bubble bit a bit, but we have, we've wanted to sort of avoid people indoors with us. And so Mm -hmm. we have childcare, we have sitters that pick them up and, you know, mask to take them to the playground from three to six, but that doesn't work when it's raining which it was today and so three to six is my little window of like okay I can do a podcast interview I can do a client call I can facilitate a workshop it's not a huge amount of time so when people are like when are you available I'm like how about like 3 30 on (laughs) seven weeks away but but that's how I've organized my my day and and the kids come back at six and they get their their minecraft time when they come back so that gives me usually like a little bit more time to finish up some stuff i do do team calls in the morning so my team is used to me being like oh hold on i just gotta check everyone's on on their zooms i'll be right back and i have had to do a few client calls or facilitations that were scheduled like way ahead of time one of my biggest fears is that so then I also have I, so I do that with a, with a, one of my team members and I have them share their screen because one of my biggest fears is that I'll be sharing the screen in and, the background well not that but like I'll share my screen and then I'll get pulled away and so the whole thing will be stuck <laughs> on like just a, waiting everyone will just be on like slide 17 and have no way of moving forward while I'm like off dealing with my kids so I'm always like Okay, you share your screen, and if I need to step away, and I and I'm 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 upfront about it. I mean, I'm I tell people I tell folks like I'm here by myself with my two kids. I may need to step out and back a couple of times. People are understanding because every right like there's so everybody's many dealing with it that are dealing with it. So that's what it looks like, and then pretty much by like eight thirty nine, I'm done. And you know, my husband comes home, he cooks dinner most of the time, and most of the time puts the kids to bed and i'm usually like asleep by like (laughs) 9 4 p.m (laughs) because i'm up really early and it's a tiring and it's a tiring day has there been anything that you found that was particularly key to you being able to kind of cope with this to cope either emotionally or just logistically with wearing multiple hats during the day and just trying to manage it. You mentioned morning pages. Is there anything else that you found was particularly key for you? Yeah, so I think, yes, so definitely morning pages. I'm still working on the movement, please. So actually, that's been one of the hardest things with my husband not here is, you know, my kids are kind of old enough that I could take a short walk, but I feel like because they still kind of like, need help at any given moment i can't really leave the house (laughs) during the day (laughs) there's my son in the background which you may be able to hear and so it's been really hard to just get out and walk so i'm trying to actually plan that at 5 30 which is like the last half hour before the kids come back with the sitter Mm -hmm. 
but that certainly earlier has been really helpful just like the movement i've been going on bike rides as much as i can so generally at the weekend i'll just take off on my bike and go sit in the park and just like be silent (laughs) and have no one talk to me (laughs) like i'm an extrovert and i am feeling so much the lack of alone time that it is not even funny i don't know how introverts yeah that's i'm an introvert and i didn't (laughs) and i love working at home and it was really weird for me the first couple of weeks going i can't think like my brain i can't think what's like what is happening that my brain no longer works (laughs) and i didn't realize that it was just there was i was never alone not once ever because my husband (laughs) was working from home and my kid was working from home and i think he took my son out on a walk or something for like an hour and i was just like oh oh that's what it was like i just need alone time for my brain to empty out and then had to make conscious choices about like okay i'm going on a walk by myself with no one to talk to me (laughs) or else this is not gonna go well for anybody i mean i think that's i think the interesting thing about well, one of the interesting things about the pandemic is, right, you've got extroverts who live alone who are really craving time, you know, and I think people are getting out more and are, being, are able to get that time now. But I think in the in the depths of um, quarantine, a lot of my friends who are extroverted and, you know, live alone were struggling with the complete opposite problem mm-hmm. <laughs> to those of us, you know, quarantined with with family and I think right so for the so the extroverts who are alone and the introverts who are not alone particularly it's been like super challenging but yeah like I said I am an extrovert and it is that has been a really really hard thing for me so I can't even imagine being an introvert introvert and not having that alone time I mean certainly at times I've just (laughs) I remember one time I went to the car just to sit in the car and then my husband came outside with the kids and then he forgot to bring his keys and he was locked out and he was like knocking on the window of the car and I was and like, like seriously I'm just, I'm just trying to be alone like I'm sitting in the car like, I couldn't even sit in the car by myself for five minutes I think every mom anywhere. in the whole world can relate to that exact <laughs> like just in the car in the bathroom like I just I'm just trying yes, to get two just seconds like, by myself just, just like a tiny little piece of time like but I, like I think I really would I think I I really need like a, a like time in a sensory deprivation chamber you know that mm-hmm. i've never yeah, tried yeah. it i've never tried it but i know they have them in new york at least <laughs> and i'm sort of like oh that sounds amazing so in august we were lucky enough that we went away we went upstate we were by a lake we were in nature we could go out like you know the density in new york city is such that you just can't at least we didn't feel comfortable leaving the house without a mask on but but upstate we were able to just breathe a bit and be outdoors and that for me was was incredibly sort of healing and restorative my kids didn't appreciate it as much I think they became sort of well first of all they're really they are really city kids like they've literally were born in the city and lived in the city their whole lives but I also think that the the quarantine really made them sort of afraid to go outside as well Mm -hmm. and so it wasn't they were not quite so thrilled about the outdoor time, but I realized like being outdoors and being in nature was super important. So when I came back from that, I'm like, I need to at least, while the weather's nice, like get on my bike, ride to the park, sit in the park. So that has really helped. I have definitely, like I said, like my executive function and my memory feels very compromised. So I, we actually, 
so so partly because of that and also partly with bringing on a team full-time so I now have two, two full-time team members or almost full-time team members who we've actually worked together for over a year, but in a much more limited capacity. So what I didn't realize was the amount of onboarding that would be needed, mm. even though we've been working together, but I've mostly been working with each temp team members separately. So we're now like needing to come together as a team and we're also working a lot more with each other. Right there, roles have increased. And so... I have been using Notion for a couple of years myself. And what I realized was, oh, one of the things based on like things that they were asking me for, <laughs> I was like, we, like, I, I was like, I think that Notion for the team would fulfill a lot of these requests for like documentation and more information and, you know, sort of a database of, of projects and files and you know, past content and all of this kind of thing. So we've also been in the process. I don't, do you know Notion? Do you, do you work in Notion? So I'm a ClickUp person, but I'm ah, familiar with Notion. Okay, yes. So I'm a project manager and not a writer. <laughs> yes. That's the distinction. <laughs> so Notion is an incredible tool, but it's also kind of a blank canvas. So you sort of have to build it yourself. So in August, part of all of my sort of reflecting up by the lake and thinking about what we needed to do. So that was one of the decisions that we made as a team, both as kind of a, an externalization of my brain. <laughs> so it's like I need a container to put everything that's in my brain somewhere so it's accessible to others. But also it's kind of a, but then it's also like a place to to co-create the co-creating inclusion brain <laughs> and institutional memory and for other team members to also sort of be able to come in. So that's been a really, that's an important piece of the sort of onboarding and the transitioning over to having a team and having it be less of just me. And it's also really helping with executive function in terms of just like lots of lists and planning and writing things down and breaking things down into small steps and systems that kind of can be my brain a little bit yep. for me when my brain you don't have right? to decide what to do you just go do the next thing on the list yeah in my best scenario I can hold a lot of things in my brain and less of it needs to be written down somewhere or you know organized or externalized but definitely under sort of the stress and the limited capacity I'm definitely seeing I need a lot more stuff that's written down and a lot more systems to sort of shore up my not as robust mental systems and I we've also realized because everyone on our team is also kind of under siege for various different reasons you know pandemic failure of democracy, rise of fascism, <laughs> all of, you know, all of the things, uncertainty, all of the things that are going on right now. We've also realized that when we're under stress, the tools that we usually can reach for are harder to reach for. And it's also almost like we have less ease of access to things like intuition or vision at least I'm finding that and so I am finding I need to make sure I have more prep time than I usually would and more processing time than I usually would and so especially in DEI work there's no there's no real fast checking anything there's no such <laughs> thing really as lean or efficient if you try to do things more efficiently it generally doesn't work 
we're also at the most risk of creating harm when we're in urgency or scarcity. A friend of mine, Kate Stratham, was talking about that recently. And Tara McMillan was talking about it as well, what works. And I was like, oh, that's so true and so good. Where it's almost like a slow down to speed up kind of situation, really. That I've noticed where we've tried to move quickly on things, right? especially right now, it ends up sort of generating more work. Mm-hmm. And so it's just not worth it. And so we have to kind of slow down and make sure we're allowing for the time that is needed for a process to take place and also to support our clients in that. So a lot of these inquiries are like, we need to like, we need to do, we, we need to like fix the stomach racism like now. <laughs> and we, we are doing a lot of sort of like, yes, it is beyond urgent and beyond time and and also and also it's not gonna happen for centuries and it's not gonna happen overnight and so like we need to not be reactive and not respond to sort of a manufactured sense of urgency or a, a toxic sense of urgency i would say and instead be intentional about creating a path forward that will work and that isn't just because we feel uncomfortable or guilty about not having done the work before and are trying to sort of show and prove that we are doing the work. Like, let's take time and think about what it would take to actually do this work in a way that will have create meaningful change. So we've been having those conversations on a multiple of different fronts. Mm. Yeah, I think that's probably a great place to wrap up. Is there anything you think we should talk about that we haven't touched on yet? Well, you know, as I was speaking, one thing, one resource that I think might be interesting for you and your listeners, it's a document called The Characteristics of White Supremacy Culture. And I always sort of say, like, it's not about the KKK. It's not about extremist groups. It's really about, like, if you read this document, it's by Tema Okun, and I can give you the link to put in the show notes. But if you read the document, it's it's very little about race, and it's really about sort of oppressive characteristics that we all can instantly recognize pretty much embedded in every company, business, organization, institution. And it is things like sense of urgency and perfectionism and worship of the written word and either or thinking and power hoarding and all of these things that we are so socialized to sort of perpetuate without even really realizing it. And it's a really, I think it's a really great business tool especially during these times, because I think in a crisis, we can can fall back on those more sort of default, oppressive, toxic behaviors. It's a really, it's a really great document. I don't know if you're familiar with it, but I, I'm not. I highly, but definitely send me the send me the um, link and we'll drop it in the show notes. Yeah, I highly, I highly recommend it. It's always it's like one of the things that always when we do workshops and work with clients, they always it always garners a lot of interest it's very thought-provoking but it's also very actionable like you can immediately kind of be like oh like that's what's going on and here's what i can do instead so it doesn't just name the oppressive characteristics but it also kind of names like here are some of the things you can do instead Mm. so it's like a really it's a it's a really great it's a really great document so yeah i thought i would just mention that as well seeing as we were talking about sense of urgency and (laughs) some of those (laughs) things that uh that happen 
Perfect. So where can our listeners find you if they want to connect and learn more about what you do? Yeah, so um, our website is cocreatinginclusion.com. And from there, there are some different links to we have a DEI advocates self coaching program, which is a weekly email, and a few other different things that you can sign up for. for so yeah, if you go to cocreatinginclusion.com, you can explore from there. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for coming and talking to me about how 2020 is gone for you <laughs> and all of the different ways you are coping. I think it's obviously still something we're all dealing with. And I think it's always helpful to hear how, how other people have been trying to handle it. Yeah, well, thank you for giving me the chance to sort of reflect a little bit <laughs> on the roller coaster that the past seven or eight months have been and for sharing some of your experiences as well. And I feel like who knows what's going to happen next. And yeah, I think we've all learned, right, to not <laughs> to not make any assumptions. Don't say anything. And don't <laughs> like, say just, just assume it's just going to keep being crazy. <laughs> if it stops being crazy for some reason, great. That would be great. Yes. <laughs> Now, more than ever, just kidding, being able to cope with change and even thrive with change has always been an important business skill. Owning a business is a journey. It's an evolution. It is never stagnant. There will always be change to handle, unprecedented or otherwise. And building strong personal skills and a flexible mindset allows you to personally become more resilient. And that, in turn, allows you to help your team and your business become more resilient. As I was thinking about this series about managing change, I keep coming back to something Alicia Abate said in the first interview. When faced with change, think about how could this actually be the very best thing that could have happened? That mindset, that question has been critical for my own ability to cope with change. But I would add one more to it from my years as a military spouse, dealing with last minute deployments, moving from one country to another, and never knowing what's going to come next. And that is, what systems or structures can I put in place that will help me manage this change? Sometimes that's something like Alethea's morning page routine. For me right now, it's making sure I'm taking walks alone. The answer to that question is going to be different for everyone. but. What one or two routines or systems can you put in place to help you be better able to weather whatever comes your way? Next week, we're kicking off a theme talking about creative pricing and business models. And I'm talking to some folks doing some pretty cool things in their business. So make sure you hit subscribe in your favorite podcast player because you do not want to miss it. Break the Ceiling is produced by Yellow House Media. Our executive producer is Sean McMullen. Our production coordinator is Lou Blazer. This episode was edited by Marty Seafeld with production assistance by Kristen Runbeck. <laughs>